electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. My mission is simple. To make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people are my friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Only on Wall Street. Could you get a spectacular set of employment numbers? And the only thing anyone's worried about is recession. Even though the averages rebounded today from their lows, Dow gaining 140 points, the S&P advancing 0.34%, NASDAQ actually inching up 0.29%, this market feels like crazy town. As seemingly every single analyst buys to see who can be the most negative. I hate it. Things just aren't that bad. But there's nothing totally nutty about the negativity. I mean, I get it. Look, I mean, you have to understand, Wall Street's right to worry about a recession. It's on everybody's mind. Why? Because analysts and money managers don't care about the rearview mirror, even when it's something that happened this very morning at 8.30, like the Labor Department's terrific non-farm payrolls report. It was terrific. The professionals only care about the future. And from their perspective, positive economic news right now it is terrible economic news tomorrow. Remember, we're sinners in the hands of an angry Federal Reserve right now. If we'd gotten a weak labor report, then Fed Chief Jay Powell could be less ruthless about hitting the brakes on the economy to kill inflation now. To portfolio managers, a strong labor report means the rate hikes will have to be even more aggressive. They see that as very negative. I get that, too. And that's how you end up with this good news is bad news environment. But there's less the truth. It's actually more of a product of some rigor, of less than rigorous kind of, kind of a zeitgeist. See, Wall Street's tendency is for binary thinking. Either things are amazing or they're awful. No middle ground. It's not just the labor report. This week was all about many things that haven't happened yet. Slower auto purchases, lighter phone sales, a collapse in home buying, the end of the PC. Now, I do believe that our economy is headed for a slowdown. That's just what rate hikes do. But a slowdown doesn't necessarily translate into a horrific crash landing recession. As someone who's been addicted to black and white thinking my whole life, regardless of pharmacology, I know that's the wrong approach. There are many ways the situation can play out that don't end in a full-blown recession. And I kind of want people to consider that, too. 
So how did this become such a grudge match between agony and ecstasy? It's all thanks to something I am loath to dignify, which is the relationship between the yields on the shorter-term two-year Treasury and the longer-term 10-year Treasury. When the 10-year crosses below the two-year, the fabled inverted yield curve, which is what happened this week, tons of money managers believe we're headed for recession no matter what. This is the inverted yield curve, people. Why does anyone care? Because it's predictive. You'll hear people say it's predicted six of the last six recessions. That's a pretty good tool. But the truth is more complicated. In reality, it's predicted 12 of the last six recessions. As a signal, I would call it too sensitive. It will call every recession we have and many more that we don't have. Of course, we forget that anything like that when this comes up. Yes, it, it actually, it's an incredible twist on the Johnny Mercer classic. Wall Street feels compelled to accentuate the negative, eliminate the positive, and don't mess with Mr. In-Between. So everything positive is interpreted as either the last good number, the coda to a boom, or the arbinger of a depression because of the inverted yield curve. So what does that mean for next week's game plan? I wanted to set that up because I think it's a week where this is really all that's going to be discussed. Monday morning, we get the durable goods number. This is, this is terrific, okay? This is exactly how it's set up. Because if it's strong, I can tell you it'll be pronounced as the last good number of a dying cycle because of how the Fed has to work even faster. If it's bad, it will be the first bad number of the apocalypse. The only thing that would save the durable goods discussion from going off the rails is news about out of Ukraine that the Russians have backed down and gone home or something Putin seems totally reluctant to do, given the limited life expectancy of dictators who lose wars. It drives me nuts that our government doesn't seem to recognize that Ukraine's got Putin on the ropes. By some estimates, Russia's got a 20 percent casualty rate, which is catastrophic for a modern army. Remember, we only 10, 11 percent of D-Day of Battle of the Bulge. If we give the Ukrainians some real offensive weapons, they can swiftly win this war, something that would prevent a global famine and dramatically lower the price of oil. It's a humanitarian crisis, but if the war ends soon, there's less of a chance for worldwide famine. Putting the war aside, we see the same absurd good news, bad news situation with individual companies. On Tuesday, we hear from an outfit you probably don't know. It's called Acuity Brands. Big lighting company, outdoor, indoor, commercial, residential, you name it. Now, given its supremacy in the sector, we often look at Acuity as a tell for the broader real estate industry. Makes sense. Last time, they did well. But thanks to the inverted yield curve, they'll be, this time, if they say things are good, they'll be branded as hopeless optimists on their conference call unless they tell a truly depressing story. They can't win. On Wednesday, we get results from Greenbar, which is just red hot because it supplies equipment to the rails. But you know what happened today? It looked like things went off the rails for the rails. I bet we'll hear the same last good quarter rhetoric here. But in this case, it might actually, you know, could be true. But right now, a ton of people are worried about plummeting freight rates. And we have to talk about this for a second. I did enough work on this today to know that the plumbing... Plummeting freight rates are true. They're falling like a stone. They're down some 30 to 35 percent as truck drivers return to the workforce. I don't want to bring this news per se because lots of companies are in the trucking business. But the trucking spot market, which is the um, definitely, definitely an arbiter of what's about to occur, is in free fall. 30 to 35 percent just in one month's time. I don't think it's customer demand sinking, but supply of drivers rising, which is great for all companies that ship things, especially retailers and packaged good companies. But I will be branded as too optimistic, and people will say it's because there's not enough demand. That is not true to my, to, you know, according to my work, but it's what people will say. 
So let's look at that through the so look at this through a prism of what I just told you. Two o'clock, the Fed releases its minutes from last meeting. And there'll be plenty of speculation about whether they'll go 25 or go 50, meaning 25 or 50 basis points in the next rate hike. Here's what you need to know. Those notes come from a period before the collapse in transportation rates. And that's something that can reduce inflation all its own. And Powell's got to be mindful of that so he doesn't overdo what he's trying to do to slow down the economy. So be mindful that they're old, right? After the close, we hear from Chip Berg, CEO of Levi Strauss, the consistent apparel company uh, that can tell us whether his this skyrocketing cotton costs. Yeah, cotton has hurt his gross margins like we've seen for so many other players in the industry. We know jeans have been hot. Has that changed too? We're finding out. Thursday is a cacophony of food and drink when we get results from Constellation Brands. Think Modelo and Corona. And ConAgra. Think Slim Jims and Healthy Choice. Kaylee, I just like that juxtaposition. I saw a terrific analyst report this morning that talks about how the stock of Molson Coors, which I like, has outperformed the group, but that outperformance is soon going to pass the constellation. Makes sense. You never want to get in the way of a Mexican beer truck on San de Mayo, a traditional sold-out day, by the way, at Bar San Miguel, uh, the small place, Mexican place I started in Brooklyn almost a dozen years ago. And don't forget our CNBC Investing Club meeting. Now, this is very important. I do want you to join. Look, just join for this meeting. It's, it's so much fun. Um, we're covering all the stocks in our charitable trust, answering your questions. Of course, giving a little bit of a worldview at the top. It's 12.30 p.m. at CNBC.com slash Investing Club. It's incredible. Even so many of the people who hate me from GameStop have decided to sign up. <laughs> who do? Friday doesn't have much, except, again, we'll most likely be fretting about the pending slowdown. We do have an oil rig count number from Baker Hughes. I know the president wants the oils the oil companies to drill more on the parcels of land that they own, the federal ones, not to mention opening up the already drilled wells that are currently shut in if they could. Don't bet on it, though. The oils are arguably the last remaining strong group besides the recession-proof utilities. And they love that they can make a ton of money holding down production. The bottom line, regardless of what happens next week, Wall Street's going to remain in good news, bad news mode. When we hear when other people start talking about the freight rate collapse that I'm talking about, you're never going to hear it because there's so many more drivers. You're only going to hear it because there's not enough demand. So perhaps you should steal yourself for the negativity. John in South Carolina. John. Hey, Jim Booyah from sunny South Carolina. Oh, man, what great barbecue you have in South Carolina. Oh, yes, I love we it. do. Absolutely. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. I'm a long-term viewer of your show. I really appreciate your financial advice and guidance. Thank you. Jim, we're, we're thinking of taking a position in a financial company. We've kind of picked out J.P. Morgan Chase, and I appreciate your comments relative to best-in-class capital appreciation and dividend security. Well, look, J.P. Morgan does indeed have the Fortress balance sheet. Jamie Dimon's there. He's got a 3% yield. But I will tell you, my charitable trust uh, vastly prefers both uh, Wells Fargo when it comes to being a broad bank, and then Morgan Stanley for that great yield and for terrific uh, asset management. I think that both of those are ones you should consider, and I will talk about them at the CMC Investing Club event because those are two big positions for my charitable trust, which gave out, well, it's giving out more than $570,000 this year. Now, regardless of what next week brings, I think Wall Street will remain in good news and bad news mode. I need you to brace yourself for negativity. On Mad Money Tonight, Blue Owl provides capital solutions to the private market. But can the stock provide gains for your portfolio? I've got exclusive with a very interesting SPAC company. Then the dream for many is to own a sports team. 
But what if you could own a piece of the action? I'm revealing five sports teams or leagues that you can invest in. And we're headed into proxy season. I'm learning more about that fintech player, Broadridge. It's giving you a voice that you want to use. So stay with Kramer. It's a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is Constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to Indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Last year, hundreds of companies came public. 600. It was crazy. And, and at this point, nearly all of their stocks have been completely obliterated. During that entire period, I told you that most of these new IPOs and SPAC stocks were either massively overhyped or immature companies that were making their debuts way too early. But when you've got hundreds of new names, some of them are bound to be legitimate especially now that their stocks have come down so dramatically from their highs. That's why we spent the last few months doing nothing but running screens of recent IPOs, looking for profitable companies with cheap stocks and good growth prospects. One name that's repeatedly propped up, popped up when we do this analysis, a company called Blue Owl Capital, a unique player in the private equity ecosystem that came into existence when a SPAC merged with a pair of alternative asset management enablers, Alrock Capital and Dial Capital Partners. The Alrock business, uh, it lends biz- money to companies that have been taken over by private equity firms. Big business because there's always tons of debt involved in these transactions. The Dial Capital business makes minority investments alongside hedge funds and private equity firms. And Blue Owl is expanding. They're acquired a pla- an alpha called Oak Street Real Estate Capital, which offers similar financing solutions, but for the commercial real estate industry. I think being one stop shop for alternative asset managers is really a great business because the industry keeps getting bigger and bigger. Thanks to the meltdown and anything SPAC related over the last four months, the stock has tumbled from just under 18 to 12 and change. Sells it uh, for just about 19 times next year's earnings estimates. A little more than a big bank, but not a specialty bank. I think it'd be a steal. But first, let's kick the tires with Mark Lipschitz. He's the co-founder and co-president of Blue Owl Capital. Learn more about his business. Mr. Lipschitz, welcome to Mad Money. Thank you so much, Jim. I really appreciate it. Big fan of the show. Big fan of your charitable work. So thank you. Oh, thank you. You're terrific. Now, let's get right to it, Mark. People are probably saying, 
What's so special about Blue Owl? They got J.P. Morgan and Bank of America, or you have the, the fidelities of the world. Uh, why do we need Blue Owl Capital? So Blue Owl Capital, and I, I you said this perfectly well, Jim, we're an enabler. We're really the picks and shovels provider to the rest of the alternative investment universe, to those private equity firms that are offering you know, wonderful investments for folks. And we're really providing the fuel. We're providing the input, the capital. And whether that's financing the businesses themselves or financing the alternative managers, the, the Silver Lakes of the world and Vistas of the world, or with our Oak Street business, unlocking the capital that's tied up in, in real estate assets. In every case, we're really providing those private capital bespoke solutions to help companies grow. And as Blue Owl, we do that by collecting management fees, and we do that on a permanent capital base. So we have a really unique position as a company and as Blue Owl as a manager because our capital is almost entirely permanent and fee-centric, so we have stability and growth. Okay, so if uh, one of our investors buys, say, 200 shares of Blue Owl on Monday, what are they getting? So you become an owner in our management company. So you're now going to be an owner in a company that is Blue Owl that is really growing with the, the ecosystem of alternatives. You're going to be in the business of managing funds that lend capital to private equity firms or other private businesses that need capital to grow. You're going to be in the business of managing funds that own stakes in market-leading private equity firms you're going to be a, a, a manager of funds who helps unlock capital in real estate for corporations. So what you're going to be owning is a part of this very stable and growing management fee stream that we collect to do that well for our investors. All right. So someone might say, listen, your whole network is devoted all day to the notion that there is a recession on the environment, despite the fact that we had the greatest unemployment number of seen in my life. Uh, so how does Blue Owl do? Let's play and just play along. How does Blue Owl, do you think, do in a recession brought on by the Fed to slow the economy and lessen inflation? Well, of course, none of us want a recession, but Blue Owl is actually uniquely durable in the face of really any economic environment. As I mentioned, our capital is permanent. So in contrast to other alternative asset managers, public managers, remember, they're raising capital, deploying it, giving it back. Then they have to go get it again. Our capital, 98% of our revenues come from permanent capital, capital we keep and manage. So as a result, frankly, the environment around us, we have a unique level of stability and predictability. Again, remember, we get paid fees. There is no carry. There is, there, there's no that carry income, those large uh, gains and, and then shrinking areas that happen in the traditional alternative asset manager. Ours is all fee income. So what happens to, to Blue Owl? As a stock, as a firm, quite frankly, our stability and growth remain very much intact. From the point of view of our investors, candidly, again, none of us want the world perhaps as volatile as it is today, but we provide private capital long duration solutions. So actually people come to us more often when times are, are frankly a little bit unstable and our investors, whether individual investors or institutional investors in our funds, we tend to offer principal protected stable return products. So uh, again, I, I don't want us to be in the environment you described, but actually it's an environment we're quite well built. All right. One last question. We found it was so hard to find a SPAC that's above 10. Uh, 
I think that your cohort has kept you below where you could be. Would you agree that it's possible that the way you came public is putting more of a lid on Blue Owl than if it had done a traditional IPO? Look, we needed to use a SPAC to accomplish a strategic act, which was to bring together Owl Rock Capital, that direct lending business, and Dial Capital, that GP stakes, that investment in the, the hedge fund managers and really private equity managers that you described. So we needed the mechanic, but it was just a mechanic for us to go public. We're now a large cap public company. We closed at twelve seventy eight, as 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 you said, relative to ten dollars and starting the year. So you know we're coming along, but our job and we intend to do it well is to go talk to our shareholders and explain that we have really an exceptional business, an exceptional proposition in terms of both the value, the high margins, the cash we generate, and the very visible predictable growth we have. So you know, we intend to get out and talk to everybody and explain that, and we believe that I'll be well-received. Well, that's terrific, as long as you're transparent about where, where you're investing and maybe one day be able to spin off enough cash and you can return a lot to shareholders. I think Blue Owl could be a terrific investment. I want to thank Mark Lipschitz, co-founder and co-president of Blue Owl. We came to it because it's one that's doing well in a market that's not. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks so much, Jim. May money. We'll be back after the break. Coming up, if competition is eternal and big money sports global, should home gamers consider checking into the game? Kramer's got the X's and O's next. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Do you ever dream like I do about owning your own professional sports team? For the vast majority of us, that's an unattainable goal. I know the Denver Broncos are currently up for sale, but unless you've got $4 billion lying around, if that low, you're not going to win that auction and become Russell Wilson's boss. However, even if you're not insanely rich, you can still own a piece of a major franchise or even an entire league in some cases because some are publicly traded. Owning the common stock won't let you weigh in on the trades or attend the owners' meetings go through the draft, but you're very much along for the ride. But you do get a real economic interest in these teams. Tonight, I want to give you not one, not two, not three, four, but five examples, two that are more or less okay and three that I find truly enticing. Since we're here in New York City, technically right next to New York City, or let's say down the block, let's start with the local option. Madison Square Garden Sports, the owner of the Knicks and the Rangers. While the Knicks haven't been a good basketball team in ages, the Rangers are prime contenders for the NHL playoffs that kick off in roughly a month. That season does end, right? The ice hockey season, like they take a weekend off and then they start again. 
The last couple of years have been pretty tough for Madison Square Garden Sports. And really, everyone in business, in this particular business, with COVID taking a huge bite out of the revenue. But with the pandemic receding, 2022 has really started to look like a very good year. What's enticing about Madison Square Garden Sports is that while the pandemic is mostly in the rearview mirror at this point, the stock is still still below where it was trading pre-COVID. That said, the stock remains incredibly expensive on a price earnings basis. That's our typical measurement. There's a reason for the high valuation, though. Putting aside the quality of the teams, the New York Knicks are the most financially value, uh, valuable, probably viable too, franchise in basketball, and the Rangers are the most valuable team in the NHL, at least according to Forbes. The New York media market is just that lucrative. If you believe the Forbes rankings, then the Knicks are worth $5.8 billion and the Rangers are worth $2 billion, meaning these two teams alone are worth $7.8 billion. Madison Square Garden Sports also has a couple minor league teams and a couple of esports franchises, but let's put those aside for a moment. What matters is that this company has an enterprise value of just $4.73 billion, despite the fact that their top two assets are worth $7.8 billion. Head scratcher, right? I mean, that is the bull case of the Madison Square Garden Sports in a nutshell. The reason for the discount? Well, it has to do with the ownership. Chairman Jim Dolan and his family control 70% of the voting power here, and they have no desire to sell either team. In other words, the stock is totally undervalued, but there's not necessarily a good way to unlock that value, so it could stay undervalued for a very long time. Next, how about some soccer? Manchester United is the most well-known football club in the English Premier League, but its stock has been a total dog ever since it came public, most recently in 2012. Now, I, I don't like the fundamentals here at all, and the company's not expected to turn a profit until 2024, but there's a possible trade here. See, the Russian oligarch who owns Chelsea Football Club, one of the few franchises that could rival Manchester United, is in the process of selling the team. If he gets a good price, that could give Manchester United a boost. That said, I'd rather own something with Better financials. And I say that as someone who really likes soccer. Oh, and I support Arsenal, by the way, because my great friend and former partner, colleague here at CNBC, told me that Ted Lasso coaches Arsenal. The next two names are a little weird. I'm talking about the Atlanta Braves and Formula One, the International Auto Racing League. These are both owned by Liberty Media, which several years ago reorganized into a very difficult ownership structure. It's got a trio of tracking stocks that follow the performance of the subsidiaries. But look, if it's mystifying, just think of it like, remember when Dell owned a lot of VMware, but the stock still traded? So let's start talking with uh, uh, Liberty Braves Group. That's the Braves. The Braves used to be part of Time Warner, but got sold to Liberty back in 2007. Now, if you want to own a baseball team, you can't do better than defending World Series champions. These guys are perennials. When Liberty Braves reported its most recent quarter in late February, the numbers were excellent. They've got huge revenue growth and a return to profitability now that fans can come back to the stadium. Stock got hard hit this winter when Major League Baseball looked like it was headed toward a player lockout. But then the lockout ended. It's made a comeback. Where do I stand on this one? It's tough for a team to win the World Series two seasons in a row. But if you believe in the Braves here, then you've got my blessing to own Liberty Braves Group. Although at these levels, you might want to wait for a pullback, but I, this is a good one. Rather than putting all your chips, though, on one single team, though, what if you could own an entire league? I'm talking about another Liberty Media tracking stock, Formula One Group. 
where you get the whole FIA Formula One World Championship, the world's most prestigious motor racing competition, spans 23 races across 21 countries this year. A lot of people busting about this. There's some ancillary assets here, too, including minority stake in a drone racing league, the parent company of Ball Arena, where the Denver Nuggets play, a SPAC affiliated with Liberty Media, and more. But the core business is what matters here. And I, I think the core business is really exciting. And for Formula One, wow, let me give you this. Formula One's having a huge moment right now. Uh, let's stretch that out. A huge time period. I don't want you to think this is one and done. And that's because it's got wildly popular Netflix reality show called Formula One, Drive to Survive. It's currently in its fourth season. The company credits the series with helping to bring in 73 million new fans last season. M- makes sense. The show's fantastic. 73 million fans. I, you know, to me, this stock seems terrific. Now, just important, for the first time in a long time, Formula One is competitive again. From 2014 through 2020, Mercedes won the team championship component. And in six of their seven years, their driver, Lewis Hamilton, won the driver's championship. It was getting boring. But 2021 was the closest season years, with Max Verstappen of the Red Bull team taking first place in the final lap of the final race competition. This season, Formula One has rolled out new parity rules, including a budget cap to prevent the wealthiest teams from totally dominating. I like that. Seems to be working. The 2022 season just began, and the ratings are on fire. They're even out drawing NASCAR races here in the United States. I have a lot of friends who talk about this thing all the time. Last year, they put up some tremendous numbers, and I bet this year will be even better. Let me give you one last idea. It's an easier, more liquid, whatever. This one's not a pure play, but I like both sides of the business. I'm talking about Endeavor Group, which, full disclosure, disclosure is my agent's firm. Endeavor's the parent of William Morris. It's my agent. But they've also got an events and experiences business. That's what really does intrigue me. Last but not least, they own a bunch of sports properties, like EuroLeague Basketball, PBR, and that's the Professional Bull Riders League, not my fave, Paps Blue Ribbon. And... Best of all, Ultimate Fight Championship, or UFC for short. The premium mixed martial arts promotion company that it seems to be loved by younger people. When, well, probably everybody, but that's what I hear from younger people. When Endeavor reported a couple weeks ago, they noted that UFC is on fire here with their Fight Pass streaming business up 30% year over year. Frankly, I like this whole business, and with the stock trading at just 22 times earnings, despite having a 25% growth rate, I think it's a steal. And when I say younger people, I'm talking about people like, say, 50 and under, okay? Now, again, the full disclosure, Endeavor's my agent. I do try to be as objective as I can be, despite the relationship I want to bring it to you. Here's the bottom line. You've got a lot of options if you want to own part of a pro sports team or even a whole team, but they're not always the best stocks. That's why I like Liberty Braves. I like this Formula One for pure plays and Endeavor for live entertainment and that terrific UFC kicker. Tom in Rhode Island, Tom. Hey, Jim. Booyah to you. Booyah, Tom. What's going on? Big fan, loyal club member. Yes. Uh, Got got a question. Activision Blizzard. Right. Bought it at at 93. Of course, they keep getting more, more more and more bad press. Do I wait for this potential Microsoft acquisition, or do I cut my losses and... And maybe sell now. Well, candidly, I'm not an arbitrageur. Once that deal happened, I just said, you know what? It's time to move on. There's so many things that can go wrong now in the uh, in the market with takeovers that I don't feel that you've got enough upside there to stay in, considering all the terrible news flow that you're getting right now from it, much of which seems true. Let's go to Robert in Texas, please. Robert. Jim, thank you for giving me the opportunity to be on your segment this evening. Oh, My question fantastic. is, 
<laughs> Thanks again. My question is on DraftKings. I believe Jason Robbins is an exceptional leader with great vision and incredible partnerships. I feel the stock has really been oversold, obviously because of fierce competition and high acquisition costs. However, I reviewed DraftKings' path to profitability, and they highlighted acquisition costs for users in year one and showed how those same users in year two and th- years two and three mm-hmm. have stayed with DraftKings at a lower acquisition cost. Right. I feel they are on the right track, and I feel with the great partnerships that they have, they're headed in the right direction. Well, what you are know, your thoughts? Well, look, I, I, Jason Robert, I totally agree. I did work for DraftKings for a couple of years. They were remarkable. Uh, I think that there is too much competition. They do have a war chest. I think that they, at this level, uh, deserve to be considered as a nice spec. Uh, but there has the price war really does have to end. And some people say it is ending, uh, which therefore I, I would give you my blessing. As I told Jason Robbins, I thought at 19, the stock had bottom. All right. Now, there are a lot of options if you want to own part of a pro sports team or even a whole league. Here they are. Uh, look, I didn't include the Green Bay Packers. It's kind of a liquid. Um, I like Liberty Braves, Formula One for pure plays, and Endeavor for that UFC kicker and live entertainment. Now, there's much more mad money at, including my sleuth with an app called Broadridge, with fintech stocks out of style in the Wall Street Fashion Show. Is it worth taking a closer look at this under-the-radar player that's really more about technology? I'm talking to CEO. Then the Fed can't control all prices, but could it help slow down the housing cycle? I'm giving you my take. And all your calls rapid-fire tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. Stay with Kramer. This is one of the most important times of the year, not because it's gardening season, although that's a big deal in my household. I will be building my boxes this weekend, but because it's proxy season where investors can vote on critical corporate decisions via proxy ballots when companies hold their annual meetings. Thanks to new technologies, it's easier than ever for smaller investors to make their voices heard. That's how Exxon got its board hijacked by a ban of environmentalists last year. Exxon. Firms like BlackRock are even allowing their ETF investors to participate via pass-through voting. In the past, if you owned a stock via an ETF, you had no voice at the annual meeting. Behind the scenes, all of this is facilitated by companies like Broadridge Financial Solutions, which helps banks and brokers operate more efficiently and communicate more directly with their clients. On top of its day-to-day settlement and corporate governance services, Broadridge processes the proxy voting for some of the largest companies in North America. It's a nice little business, which is why the stock has been a consistent long-term outperformer. That said, the stock's pulled back from its highs in recent months because it's a fintech play. And fintech is very much out of style in the Wall Street fashion show, even if it may not be described by themselves as fintech. The business is still strong, though, and they've got their finger on the pulse of the rising tide of shareholder democratization. So let's check in with Tim Gokies, the CEO of Broadbridge Financial Solutions, to get a better sense of this year's proxy season. Mr. Gokie, welcome back to MedMuck. Thanks, Jim. Great to be here. Great to see you again. Well, Tim, I need you to a uh, little, you know, maybe uh, take the pulse of something. I am a believer, as I told my partner, Scott Wappen, just now, that there are individuals who, once again, are searching to make money in individual stocks, hence some of the big stock splits we see, hence some of the ESG, like Exxon, that we saw. But most people feel, no, Jim, it's, they want passive, 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 and they're not interested in voting. Where are we? Well, Jim, uh, it's a great question. And I think it is uh, 
Uh, first of all, let's just recognize, you know, behind that is the fact that there are a lot more retail investors now than there were even 18 months ago. Right. If you look at the number of individual positions, last year it was up 26%. This year it's up in the teens. And so, you know, there are a lot more investors. I think the other thing is that the interest in ESG is uh, way up, environmental social governance. If you look at the number of environmental and social proposals so far this year, it's up 25% over last year. And if you look over the last five years, the level of support for those proposals, it was 5% in 2015. Last year, it was 40% in terms of the aggregate, uh, aggregate votes. It's an eight times increase. And, and win or lose, uh, management cares about those votes and they look at them, even if they don't win, they take actions. So people really, if they have, a, have, have something like that, they really should vote. Uh, because win or lose management cares, and it's easy. Uh, you can do it uh, right, right on the app. I have, you know, uh, have it right here. And uh, uh, 80% of people get notified digitally, and they're only a couple of clicks away uh, from doing it. And uh, we've made it easier than ever with our improved proxy vote app, well, uh, which this year allows you to sign up for things to be notified about if you care about those issues. Well, so it's I, a great time. I have to tell you, I don't know if people understand. That's a staggering staggering change in what what people are doing in terms of voting. And you're right, people do care. What's incredible is, I'll tell you, Tim, for 30 years, I threw them right in the wastebasket. Because, I mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, you know, whatever I saw, no one else is looking. What changed in terms of, is it younger people? Consciousness? Why do people now really want to try to change a company when before people just said, there's nothing I can do? You know, I think, uh, first of all, it, the, the investing base is changing. Uh, we do an investor study every year. When you look at a lot of the new investing that has come in, it's a lot of younger uh, people who are used to a more social kind of environment and used to uh, having a voice and, uh, and making a difference. So they feel, uh, feel like they should. And, uh, and then I think things like uh, engine number one's uh, win last year, uh, which you commented on in your mm-hmm. open, uh, it makes people realize, like, yes, they can, uh, you know, they can make a difference. And well, they uh, sure do. It's a, it's a great time. Well, OK, so this brings me to something that I really like. Some of the largest companies are doing splits. Now, we know that splits don't create value, but I have been advocating for people who want to own a piece of Amazon. They should own a fraction. What's the difference between owning a fraction of a share and then if a company splits, being able to vote on 10 shares? Well, I, I think that it's interesting between fractional shares and, and splits. I mean, traditionally, uh, companies split sort of as a sign of uh, what they think the future is, but also to, to lower the overall price to be able to bring in more investors and make it more accessible. Because when a single share gets to be you know, more than $1,000, then uh, you know, that can be problematic for people to do. I do think that uh, fractional shares, which are still, still sort of new and are not uh, necessarily available on every investing platform, uh, is a way to substitute for that. And uh, uh, I think the voting implications are probably about the same between the two. All right. Now, I find what's interesting, the process you're talking about, in many cases, is as intriguing to younger people as stock price appreciation. I'm an appreciation guy. I, I You know, look, I'm trying very hard to be like my kids. Uh, one of my uh, daughters was furious about what happened at Disney. OK, she just said, listen, I can't own this. This company is just is a travesty of what I thought. I never even I said, well, if it goes up, then go take the go take the money and for support your cause. 
I think your technology has changed things. What you held up is rather remarkable, Tim. And that is what's driving a lot of the ease with which people are being able to, to voice their concerns. I think that's right. I think the uh, uh, particularly in the future, as uh, people sign up for what are the topics that they're interested in, so that uh, if there is a proposal, if there is something uh, on the ballot, uh, they'll be notified about it and be able to take action. I think that takes that ease uh, right to the next level. So I don't have to sort through if, I, if it's a routine proxy, maybe I don't care as much about it. But if it's one where there is a topic, then I do care about it. And I think, you know, you mentioned uh, earlier on in your, uh, in your open about pass through voting. So uh, this year, as, as, as you know, uh, but for your listeners, really interesting point. Uh, you know, the passive side is getting to be so big, but some of the biggest passive players like BlackRock, uh, they announced uh, this year that they are going to pass down the vote right. to uh, their, now their, their shareholders. Now, they're doing it right now just on the institutional side, the institutional shareholders. But in the future, uh, that could evolve to be retail voters. And, and then to make that practical, it would have to be, you know, for an issue that you're interested in because no one wants to get 500 proxies. But I got to tell you, this is a revolution. The the website, how do we get on? I want to get on this thing. It's Broadridge or do, for what you held up? For what I held up is uh, I go to, uh, uh, you know, the Apple store or the Google store and download proxy vote. Uh, just search for proxy vote. You can download the app and uh, or proxyvote.com is the website and uh, great one-stop shopping. Also, if you do get something in the mail, which, which hopefully you'll sign up for digital, but if you get it in the mail, there's a QR code. Just point your phone right at the QR code, and it'll bring it right up, and you can vote with two clicks. Well, Tim, I got to tell you, this is revolutionary. It's very exciting. You're going to have to come back. We're going to talk a lot. I also want to hear from you about what the issues people want. I've been trying to change. You know, we got old, old folks trying to get it right. You are very helpful in this, and I love what Broadridge is doing. Thank you so much to Tim Goki, CEO of Broadridge. Really good to have you on the show, sir. Thank you. Wow. I don't know about you, but I mean, I have a lot of issues I care about. I didn't think anybody else would ever vote. They're voting. You hear that? Five to 40 percent? This is exciting stuff. Younger people, everyone should download the app. Just download the app. But younger people, I know you're passionate. This is how you show your passion. Mad Money's back in for the break. No need for a meteorologist. Today's forecast calls for thunder and lightning. The lightning round is next. It is time. It's time for the lightning round. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski down. Alan in Florida. Alan. Jimmy Chill. Yo. Want to ask you about 23andMe. They've got a massive human DNA database. Glasses. Smith-Klein was paying $26 million a year. Now they're paying $50 million a year. It is incredible that this stock is at three. It is a SPAC. It's losing money. That you know, To me, buy it and put it away. Down 40%. I'm not, too, people are there too smart. Let's go to Eric in Oregon. Eric. Mr. Kramer, sir, yes. I need a second opinion on WW Weight Watchers. No, I just don't like the company for a long time. There's just nothing that I find that's growth or of interest to me. Let's go to Danny in Michigan. Danny. Hi, Jim. Booyah. Booyah. 
What do you think of Nicholas? They're going to lose money as far as the eye can see, and it can't see that far. Only 12 miles from the horizon. Let's go to An- Angelia. Angela in Idaho. Hi, Jim. Hi. I am new to investing, and I appreciate that you share your knowledge and advice. So thank, thank you for what you do. Thank you. I'm interested in um, investing in Joby. I've invested. Way too speculative. I don't want you in there losing a fortune. It's had its day already, believe it or not. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, what can stocks tell us about where the economy will go next? Kramer has a feeling there's nothing new under the sun. Inflation and the Fed, next. lot about how the Federal Reserve is trying to stamp out inflation, but the Fed can't control prices directly. What it can control are interest rates. And by jacking up the cost of borrowing, the Fed can make you more reluctant to buy a new car, new house, or a model an old one. As demand vanishes, inflation dies out too. But in the process, corporate earnings can and will take a huge hit. That's certainly what the stock market's saying with its recent declines. Stocks are screaming that we'll have, soon have too much of everything that we currently have too little of. Now, there's a widespread misperception about the role of the Fed. People seem to think it matters whether j raises the federal, rates, uh, federal funds rates by a quarter point or a half point or several of them or ten of them. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not saying the velocity of the move is irrelevant. But the important thing is the direction the Fed's taking us and what j says. Until the Fed's done tightening, many stocks will remain under pressure. Case in point, housing. Mortgage rates were 3% last summer. Now they're pushing 5%. That's a radical move that's happened so fast. It hasn't even impacted the housing market yet. This jump in mortgage rates wasn't mandated by the Fed, but it anticipated the Fed's rate hikes. Sooner or later, it will cause home prices to pull back. In the end, everything anticipates Fed rate hikes. The value of your house will go down. Sure, we had another good employment number today. 1.7 million new jobs were created in the first quarter. That should be good news for housing, right? At the same time, though, there's been a profound pullback in mortgage applications, which tells you the home building stocks are right to go lower. I know how this plays out because I've lived through many real estate cycles. The cycle starts with tremendous demand for new homes fueled by strong gro- uh, job growth. At first, the home builders are caught short, so they frantically try to add to their inventory. Thanks to the booming economy and the rise of remote work, the housing shortage only intensified to the point where home builders had to actually buy appliances from Lowe's and Home Depot, like regular people, rather than getting them wholesale. So the demand side got stronger than anyone expected. When homebuilders see that kind of strength, they'll put up a ton of new houses. This time it's no different. Now, though, thanks to higher mortgage rates and relentless price increases, most individuals have found themselves getting priced out of a big chunk of the real estate market that used to be available to them. This occurs right when the homebuilders have finally caught up with their inventory. At this very moment, I think the housing market's in equilibrium, meaning supply and demand are in balance, so buyers and sellers can still close contracts. But it never stays in equilibrium. Within a month or two, I bet the home builders will still be flooding the market with excess inventory, even as the buyers begin to go on strike. Then by the summer, there should be a plethora of homes available and prices will have to come down next. The, the supply chain for housing components that have been so tight will finally ease because there's not enough demand. Within a few months, every shortage becomes a glut. Those producers of windows and doors and washing machines, many of whom put up new plants to meet strong demand, they're now filled with inventory, often inventory built on credit. Once demand dries up, the whole edifice collapses rather quickly under its own weight. That's historically how the cycle 
plays out. It's going to happen again. And that's how the Fed stamps out inflation. By raising interest rates, they cool down housing, the housing supply chain, housing-related retailers. And it's the same for autos. As these industries slow down, inflation just evaporates. And that's what the stock market is forecasting right now with this decline. At this point, just watch the home building stocks. When they bottom, that's how you know we're approaching the end of this decline. The good news for stocks, they hit bottom long before the economy does. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you Monday. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.